Welcome to the Empowering Industry Podcast, a production from Empowering Pumps and Equipment as the voice of the pump and related equipment industry. podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Matthews, and I am so glad that you're here with us today. I have such an amazing guest that, um, I mean, I could go on and on about any type of author, but an author that talks about Everest is even better, right? Uh, so let's get into it. I, I'm so excited, David, that you are here and that you're bringing us um, your knowledge and your story. And I'll just start with letting you introduce yourself to our audience. Well, Charlie, it is uh, always a privilege, and I just really appreciate it uh, being able to contribute to your audience and to get to know you better. So I'm just looking very much looking forward to this conversation today. Yes. Um, so, David, I'm just gonna I'm gonna let everybody know before we get started because this is what brought me to you. I've got this the other Everest here, and so if you just you just think about that, and everybody has their picture of what this is, but we're going to talk about navigating the pathway to authentic leadership. And so this is what I get jazzed up about leadership. And then just, you know, what is an authentic leader, right? I try to show up and be myself. I say I'm an open book, but are we really uh, open and sharing everything? Not, not really. But so what does an authentic leader look like for you? Well, first of all, my premise Charlie, and there's a long story that builds on this premise, which we can get into. But my basic premise is that we are born authentic. I mean, you mentioned you've got uh, more than one child, right? Yes. So when we come in, by the way, whether you have children or whether you had parents, we all are there somewhere. So we were all either baby, we were all a baby at some time. So when we came into this world, we are born, in my mind, with a seed of possibility, a destiny. Anybody that's been around more than one child in a family, whether it's your own children or if you're an aunt or an uncle and you have nieces and nephews, grandchildren, uh, your own children, you understand that right from day one, children have their own essence. They do not come in as a blank slate. And that essence is what I call your authentic self. But what happens, Charlie, is that we grow up in this world that tells us how we should be. And so in order to fit in, in order to not feel pain, in order to not be rejected, what we do is that we conform to the culture and we take on a a persona of what the culture expects of us. And then we lose connection with the essence of who we are. And so essentially what the journey to the other Everest is, see, the we all understand that the world's highest point is is in on Everest at more than 8,000 meters above sea level. What's less known is that the world's lowest point is in the Mariana Trench at more than 8,000 meters below sea level. It's virtually an inverted Everest. And it's this growing down into our essence. And often it comes through a life crisis. It comes through pain. It comes through... Um, a trauma in our life, but where we take this journey down, or it can just be a reflective, you know, what, 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 where's my career going? And, and, and I'm building this, we, we have so much effort at building up and growing up and growing our businesses. And what my premise is, is that success isn't just about height. It's also about depth. 
And it's going down to the depth of who you are. And I'll just share this whole notion of authenticity. It's taken a bad rap because people walk around being a jerk and they're saying, well, that's just my authentic self. But it is we are not born a jerk. You have to go back to the essence of who you are. There's so many different parts of ourselves. When when Shakespeare said to thine own self be true. Well, what the heck self are we talking about here? Is it my impulsive, addictive self? Is it my accountable self that wants to just show up in the world? Is it my um, authentic self? So we have to really understand what self we're talking about. And very few of us actually get training at being guided to our authentic self. And so that's where we have the most impact in the world is where we take that journey down and get to the depth of who we are that we started our life with and connect with that destiny. That's where we make our greatest impact. I love it. And it makes me think of so many different things to talk to you about, but, um, you know, go for me growing up in the pump industry, uh, it's very male dominated space. And, you know, all of a sudden you realize like I haven't sat and talked to a group of women in so, so many, so many years. And, um, that, that being able to come back and, and be in a group uh, with empowering women in industry gave me something that I lost. And it, it like revived something in me that um, I hadn't really paid attention to in a while because I was just kind of doing the work. Uh, but I love a lot of the things that we talk about and I love a lot of the um, you know, I like the glam and, and, you know, I, I like to use the example of me on the stage in my gray suit, you know, talking and monotone or whatever. And it, it just is not me, right? It's the sparkle and the jazz that comes along with my personality. And that's part of what I was trying to kind of push down to fit in into industry. And um, it's not needed. You don't have to do that. And it's something that um, I hope that everybody gets, you know, especially my, my women out there, you know, that you can be a woman, whatever shape, size, uh, sparkle or not, you know, and just be, be you and, and don't try to pretend so that you fit into what you think people want. Cause they actually love it. Um, and, and love when you show up as yourself. Uh, but I'm curious, David, um, tell us a little bit about you. Like, how did you get on this journey to even share this type of information? Well, my first degree was in early childhood education. And then I went back to graduate school and got a, a master's degree in social work. And I became a family therapist. And I was a family therapist for 10 years back in the 80s. Okay. Very interesting when you're a family therapist, Charlie, nobody brings in their good kids. So all I saw were people in pain. And I thought there's got to be a better way to do this. By the when people would come in to see me, it just felt like I was just putting a bandaid on an artery wound. And so I started to do talks for parents back in the 1980s. And my topic was raising accountable kids. And what I ended up happening is that I got business executives, entrepreneurs coming to my parenting talks who said, gosh, you should come and talk to our company about all the principles you're talking about with these parents. Our company could benefit this because we want to build an accountable organization. And so I, I had no clue what I was doing. It's called consulting, right? So I went into this, these companies. Had I, I said, well, what do you want me to talk about? Parenting? And they said, no, just Take what you taught parents and adapt it into our company. And so I started to do that in the late 80s. And my and something in me, just like when you talked about that, when you woke up and that you really got jazzed, mm -hmm. something in me said, this is where my work is meant to be, is in companies. And so I just out of word of mouth, I, my, I gave up my family therapy practice, got so busy working with companies, just taking what I learned about families and adapting it into companies. I went into business with a couple of... Uh, 
organizational development guys that had been working in the organizational development field, leadership development field for the last 20 years, went into business with them. We wrote a book together on accountability. And that's really where my where my career took off is in the 90s. We traveled around the world and, and taught companies how to, how to build accountability in their organization, taking my philosophy and their tool. And we really, uh, that's where my real, my career was launched. But something I began in that journey, I've always said, what's missing? Something here is missing. And I just had this curiosity. And it, it, what was happening is it was selling well. The pro, we were selling these programs to companies, but it became very transactional. Check the box. We could manage expectations and, and we, you know, performance management, but something was missing, missing. So I started, I used to think you had to know something to write a book about it. What I've discovered is if you want to learn something, write a book about it. So I invested in, in, in research and we, re, we interviewed about 4,000 people in the early 2000s. And basically what we asked them is what do you want from your leaders? And essentially, it can be boiled down to one sentence, that what we want from our leaders to get past the fads and the gimmicks and the flavors of the month, and we just want our leaders to be real. So I started to write a book about real leadership. And then what I discovered is before you can be a real leader, you first of all have to be a real human being. And so it's this journey into your humanness and being more uh, just it's just essentially being a good person. And that's the work that I've been doing is integrating my work around accountability with my work around authenticity. And when you marry those two, you get unstoppable organizations. So you can't just be authentic without account- being accountable, right. but you also can't be accountable without being authentic or it's just drudgery. So it's that's what I've been spending the last. Now, that's my professional story. On a personal level, I've come through my own pain and my own trauma and just let and you know, and I can I can I can invest you know share with you more about that story, uh, but it, there, I have a very personal story that's helped me uh, become more authentic in my own life, and I think that's really the, my own destiny. My whole life has been bringing me to this place of of bringing authenticity to the world. It's really what my own life, it's, it's my own destiny and my life's work. Well, I like to say that, uh, the leaders, right. And we're seeing people, you know, even more so with social media and posting and a lot of the message that we send out, we need to hear ourselves. And there's so many times that I read something that I put out there and I was like, yep, I was talking to me, you know, you're looking back, you're like, that was straight a message for myself. And I, I think that, you know, that professional side and kind of taking what you're passionate about and seeing how that aligns with your work is so important, right? I, even I, I talk to people about, you know, if they have like charity things that they want to do and making sure that that aligns with their work that they do uh, because they're able to do it more so, right? Like you're able to um, combine kind of your personal love for something with the work that you do every day. Um, and, and sometimes people don't have that flexibility to do that. Right. But when it does align with, pur- with purpose and work, when those align, then it's, you feel like you're not working. Right. So it's, it's a wonderful place to be. Um, the Japanese have a word for it. It's called Ikigai. It's your reason for being, and it's where your passion and your gifts intersect with your contribution to the world. And when those three, when those three intercept, intersect, then you have a, a unstoppable life. That's your destiny. Now, if you get paid to be in your ikigai, when those that's called a vocation, 
For some people, their ikigai lies outside of their paid work, and that's called an avocation. Maybe their reason for being is away from their work, and this is just a job to help you, to, uh, to give you the resources for you to really live what your passion is. But we don't necessarily have to be uh, living our authentic self uh, and connected to our authentic self at work. When we can do that, it's a it's a rare experience. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think, you know, there's there's places in work, um, mine specifically, where I feel like I'm at home and I'm I'm in that calling and purpose. And then there's other that I just have to do this because this is part of the work, right? Um, but to your point, um, and I was going to ask you about the calling part part of that, because um when we when we find that the other stuff just seems to not matter as much. It seems like you, like your folk, like it doesn't, it's not hard to come to work, right? It's not hard to um, even show up personal or professional. If you have that, even if it's outside of your like day job, if you have that purpose and calling that you're able to tap into that um, on your free time, even right. That you, you have that sense of purpose that keeps driving you. And so you know, I, I say all that. And, and sometimes we as leaders and we're, we're at work and I'm talking to people at work here, they may not um, want to talk about what their calling is, right? They may not want to share this. So how do you still lead a team if your calling is not at work? Uh, what does that look like? You know, that's a, it's a great question. First of all, it's knowing yourself. So typically what happens in an organization is that we just tell people to get the job done. And some people we're, we're, aren't used to actually being asked these kind of questions like, you know, uh, where is your sweet spot in life? Where, where's your where do you where's your passion? Where are your gifts? And it, it, the best thing to do in as a, an authentic leader is to guide as at least to ask the questions and to be curious and committed to helping people find what that is. Now, if people uh, say, you know, I, 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 I don't know where my gifts are. That's one of the ways that authentic leaders can help people find uh, energy in the workplace. You know, we live in this world where we've had this great migration where many people are leaving their organizations because they haven't found a way to live their passion at work. They've, they have to find it somewhere else. At least begin to inquire. And and, and to help people find what that gift is, what their strengths are, and to manage their work around their strengths. Now, if you discover that, so, so for example, and let me just put this on a very practical level. Let's suppose you came and work on our team. The first question that I would ask you is how can we create a place here that wants you to come to work? Where could you find your passion here? What do, you, what do you love about your work? Now, if what they love is away from their work, and maybe they're, a, maybe they're a mountain climber, and what they really love, or maybe they're a musician, and they really love to do that work on the weekends, and this is just a job. I don't really, really like talking about my gifts and my passions here. This is just a job. Then I would say to them, how can we support you in your personal life? To live that away from here. How can we create an organization here where you can create value for us and that we can create value for you? Then we can have a win-win relationship. And it's it's so obvious, but we just don't stop and have those conversations. And 
if, if people don't want to talk about it, they just want to come and have a get their job. That's okay. But they're they need to know that as an authentic leader, I am really committed to helping them if they if they are wanting to do that, if they want to get into that level of conversation with me. Yeah, now, maybe we could also find, and I'll just say one thing, then I want to hear what you have to say. Maybe what we could say is, could they could they just cut, as I say, carve out a portion of their desk to do what they love to do? And could we could we take some of the pressure, some of the projects off their plate to make room for where their energy really lies? And, and to support building that component. Maybe it's only 20% of their job, but maybe we could make that 30% or 40%. Maybe they could delegate what they really aren't enjoying to somebody who that is in their sweet spot so that we can negotiate that and work around that. Yeah, and I, what I was going to say is it made me think of the, the, the different... Um philanthropy that people do, right? Even a lot of corporations, they, they pick a charity to support. Well, if it was, if it was your passion and you had something that that organization could donate to or support, like you said, um, show up for like even just their presence as a, as a company come and support, like, um, for your example, a musician, right. Um, to show up for them, it is going to make a difference because they're going to feel like the people at work care about, them and what they care about just by, you know, um, showing up, um, with your presence or your gifts, um, in donations to a, a certain organization. That's something easy or companies can do. The, the other thing I wanted to say is just in that, um, figuring out where your team members strengths are and making sure that they work in those strengths and where they feel that their gifts are being valued the most. And if they don't like it, is there somebody else that likes to do that work and set them up for success? And so both people win. Um, and so even if you don't like to do something, don't think of that as like something negative. I, it's that somebody else can do it better. It's okay. It doesn't mean that you're a worse of a person. It's just, that's not where you should be in, you know, spending your time every day. And so I've done that. I, I like, uh, we've just went through this with our company too, of kind of setting out um, different people's roles and who could change their role just a little bit to make it work. Um, and most of the time it's because, you know, when I look at myself, uh, when I'm able to talk to people and talk with industry leaders and, and kind of get the vision for the company, then I'm able to even describe what we're doing better to the rest of the team, right? Where do we want to go? Because I've had the time to spend you know, talking with those leaders and, and, and sitting in that visionary part versus going through, let's say spreadsheets and numbers when somebody else might can do that better and present that information to me to give me a better idea of what's going on. And so I've just looked at this uh, and I, I think I've always kind of looked for strength within, within my uh, team and what, and I want them to feel good and happy at work. Like, otherwise, what are we doing this for? And so, you know, but there are tools to help us get there to see what people's strengths are and, and how your business would work better. And I hope people, you know, will just not take it as, well, I can't do everything, right? Um, that it's like, no, we need to work and, and support each other. That's where we actually feel better at work when we're actually giving of our gifts at work. And, you know, we don't have to do it perfectly. People will cut you a lot of slack if they know that you care. You know, what, Matt, you know, so the couple of questions here is what matters to you and how can I support you to live your values at, in work? 
And then what are your strengths? Now, there's all kinds of strength inventories, the Gallup polls. Uh, there's all kinds of, if you just, re, you know, just Google uh, strength. Yes, uh, we love the strength finder here. That's our your strength finder. Yeah. So there's all kinds of ways to tap into people's strengths. But basically, just exactly what you said, what do you love? What do you love to do? Um, that will be a, a clue for what your strengths are. And, you know, what do you hate doing when you come to work? And can we delegate some of that? Now, I, I, I do have a, a line that says you have to fit people. Don't fix people. Don't figure out what. And we've spent far too much time, Charlie, in the leadership development field. And you understand this fixing people, finding out what their weaknesses are and then and then fixing their weaknesses rather than building on their strengths and what their passions are and begin to make it safe for people to talk about that. A lot of people don't talk about it because they've not had experiences with having that be a safe place where they can be who they are. You know, there's you know, nothing worse than coming to work and leaving who you are at the door and trying to pretend that you're somebody else. And if you're really committed to helping people find what their passions are, what their strengths are, what their values are, what their own personal purpose is, and then align that to the values and the purpose and the vision of the organization. This is where we really get energy. And sometimes we have to say, you know what? There is not an alignment here. But I, I want, you know, maybe we need to move on. Or maybe you can find your gifts away from work. That's okay. Yeah. And I think the open part and feeling safe enough to be able to have these conversations, um, it, it's it is that authentic self coming out and people know that you're being true to them. You've opened the space. You've told what the challenges are. You, you know, you have made it transparent that you are trying to, you know, do what's best for them and what's best for the company and, and, and being real to your team allows them to have that space to open up and tell you what's really going on. Uh, I was just talking to somebody else uh, before we jumped on and, and we were talking about, you know, that, how do you, how do you do that? Right? Like, how do you find out from people? And one of the things that we did was just watch and like be present with people, their body language. You can tell like if, um, let's say our, our employee has been upset the last three times that you've, you've been on a zoom with them, right? You should be able to see that and, and, and ask questions about, are they okay? And how can you support them? Um, in, you know, their work or, or is there something personal going on with them? But if you pay attention, then you'll be able to see that maybe they were talking about this project they were working on each time. Maybe they were talking about a person within the company each time and, and just pay attention to that person enough that you're trying to solve. Like, why are they um, in a frustrated state and try to help them figure that out by opening the space for them to talk? But they're not going to just share that, you know, I'm like, what am I not doing as a leader? <laughs> that crickets, you know, it's. It's how do, how do we get them? It's creating that space of communication, like you said. And it takes time and it takes commitment. But here's the thing, Charlie, that that I, I think your listeners, your audience can relate to. So I'm going to just step back for a second. There's actually four stages of career development. One is this apprentice where you're a, a new apprentice and you're learning and then you become an individual contributor and then you become a building a capacity builder of others, and then you build an organizational capacity. Now, each of those strengths in each of those areas actually becomes a weakness in moving to the next stage. So, for example, it takes humility 
to be an apprentice. I want to learn. But if you stay too humble and and too um, not recognizing your own strengths, you won't be an individual contributor. So you have to let go of the strength of being a, a, an apprentice to be an individual contributor. Now, this is what your leaders are going to be facing is is that when you move into building capacity, many of us are promoted to being leaders or we step into being an entrepreneur and our strength is being an individual contributor. But that will become a weakness in the next phase because when you're building capacity around you, you you could all say, I can do this better myself. Why should I delegate this? I can just, it's easier and it's quicker to just do it myself. And by the way, this is parenting 101, right? It's just easier to bake that cake with a four-year-old than it is to allow the child to learn how to bake that cake. They want to contribute. I believe we all have this innate desire to want to make a contribution. But if we're consumed with being an individual contributor, there's no room to ask those questions. We got to get the job done what you it it takes a decision to say i really want to be in this stage 3 work or stage 4 where we're building capacity around us which means it's going to in the short run be uh more stress because you got to take that space you might say i don't have time to ask people how they're feeling i don't have time to get to people's values i don't we got work to do that's an individual contributor mindset and that won't be, you won't be acting as a leader, as an individual contributor. You have to let go of that to move to this next stage, this next phase in the development process, if you want to be a leader, which means I got to build capacity around me. Yeah, it's it's one of the hardest things, I think. I mean, I was uh, definitely an individual contributor that went into okay, now I have a team I have to lead. I have to figure this out. Somebody help me. You know, I don't know how to do this. And and I struggle still from time to time where I want to just jump in, you know, I want to jump in and, and say, I can, let me, let me contribute, right. Let me contribute in the way that I know that I can contribute. Um, and you, and I also, I'm curious about this and like this phase of that, right. And kind of back to your authentic self. What if you never get out of that, right? What if you never can get to that point where you take on that leadership role and not individual? How do you know? Th- how do you know that you kind of are able to do that? Well, first of all, it, it comes from a decision. Not everybody is meant to be a leader. Some people get into a leadership role and they can't let go of being an individual contributor. And frankly, uh, I've coached a lot of people to just go back and just be a good contributor. But let's take the pressure off of yourself to be a leader. So it's it's really about making a decision. And then it's getting support. Once you've made the decision, I want to be a leader, then it becomes an awareness uh, and some support and a guide to help with that. And that's where a stage four can help the stage three folks uh, with learning how to be mentoring them to, to learn how to let go. It is a it's a. When when you get a promotion, you don't actually get a promotion. You get a career change. It's a totally different career. And you have to be willing and have the courage to say, I'm having a career change right now. I'm in a leadership role, and I need to learn how to do that. 
Yeah, uh, it's so, so true. And I, I love it. The, everybody just take that in. It is a decision. If you want to be the leader, it's a responsibility that you've accepted, right? You've said, okay, I want this. I want to be responsible for leading this team. And you got to have resources. You got to get help from other people um, to kind of get to it's, that next level. It's hard work. It's hard work being a leader and building that capacity around you when you're such a good and you're there probably because you're a great individual contributor. So you have to be willing to let go of that. And you and you don't have to have it all figured out. You can ask your team for help. So the two most important questions is how can I need your help and I believe in you. Yeah. And so you can ask your team, hey, if I get in here and get back into my individual contributing role and I take over too much, just let me know. Give me push back with me. And I'll and I because I want to learn how to step back, but it's new for me to do that. Yeah. And that is again, that's being open and sharing like what your struggle is really, you know, not not trying to sugarcoat it and and like, you know, I can't really tell my team that I, that I'm not doing well in this area or they're not going to trust me to lead them further. That's not really how it works. When that when when you trust the, your team with that information and they get to help and serve you, then it is it is everybody's getting stronger. Everybody's using their gifts and talents and and you're able to move in the right direction and make better decisions because you're not trying to do something all by yourself, right? And everybody is able to contribute in their area. The team is stronger. Uh, I love it. I, it was definitely hard for me uh, to do. Uh, I know like it took, I mean, I'm sure my team would tell us too, like we, we struggled through this and, and still I do want to be that leader, not just for myself and my team, but also for other people in our community and that knowing that it does take it off. It takes, okay, well, well, this, this, um, outcome is not tied necessarily to what I put in, but my leadership and what I've, what I've done to lead my team. Don't you find that you don't have to do it perfectly, Charlie, right. that, that being real is just being upfront about what your intentions are? I'd be very curious uh, what your, the impact of, has that in, in terms of retention of people and engagement with people. Have you, have you had a chance to measure that in your own company? Yeah. I, well, I don't know exactly how to measure it other than kind of looking at, at where people have grown within the company and took on responsibilities when I stepped away. Um, I think it's amazing to see some of the talents that are in people that you don't even know because you haven't, you haven't let them kind of take the reins. You're just putting them in this little box and saying like, do this task when they actually could do so much more. And when you step away and kind of give them the, the, um, the, let them answer that question of what they want to work on. Then you, it opens up things that you didn't even know you were going to work on next. Right. And then your leadership is, okay, well, what do we need to resource up to make that happen for the team? Or, or how do, how do I, um, you know, collaborate with other people to, to allow these new things to happen. And so, yeah, I've, I've definitely seen it with our, our team. Um, everyone has, um, especially kind of going through this process lately, um, everybody has kind of stepped into what I think is where they like to work for one, they're working within um, the skill set that they have that, that I would consider their strength, but also with like a growth in mind too, right? Like this is how I'm going to, I'm not, I've got a title and I got this job description, but I don't know all these things yet, but I've, but I'm already going to step into this position before I'm ready, before I've got it all figured out. 
Um, and I think that's where the growth is. And that's where I've really enjoyed, you know, being able to do that, put people in a position that it, it, they didn't have to check the box a hundred percent that they, they can do all of these things to get that. No, they're going to uh, strive to learn those things and to, to be better in their, their area that they want to work in. So, yeah, I think for that, I do see that people have grown in, in that as far as, um, and retained the talent that we had and brought in new talent that they can then bring up along. So, yeah, I see that. Now, I know you're supposed to be interviewing me, but I would love to hear your story about how you got that awareness of building that kind of a culture. Uh, uh, I mean, well, and yeah. my assumption is it's going to be a bit of a journey down. It hasn't, it wasn't just a success journey. No. Have you got a short story for what your story yeah, was? I'll try to do a short story. It's hard to do a short story on this. It was about a three-year um, window back to where the first time somebody called me a leader. I was doing some work around empowering women um, and I missed a meeting and this lady says, we need our leader back. And I was like, whoa, wh what is this leader business? I, I didn't sign up to be a leader, you know? And then I started kind of doing the work, like uh, researching how to be a leader. And, and I got in this program with uh, Rob Kavarowski. He uh, launched um, Leadership Launchpad at the time. And me and my teammates, which was um, a group of um, men engineers in there with me, and we would just share our stories and we would share like day to day what was um, what was going on with us as we tried to be these better leaders. And when you when I find out kind of that emotional intelligence piece for me, um, why is something making me upset? Right. Like, why is this bothering me so much? And like paying attention to my emotional connection with things and how my state was, that really helped me a lot. And it helped me to know like what was holding me back. So like if somebody didn't do work, you know, I would tell myself, nobody in the world cares about me, uh, about this one little thing, this one little project, you know, it was this big story I was telling myself. Um, and I could see that in my state, right? I could see that I would get upset about something that like there was no proof and evidence, you know, to be upset about it. And so I tell you that because for me, understanding how I was showing up made me realize that I wasn't showing up as the leader that I wanted to be because this other thing was happening to me and I didn't even see, I couldn't see that that's how I was showing up for my team, right? That I wasn't uh, being kind to myself, therefore I can't be kind to others, right? And give my time, uh, give me time to have a break, you know, to, to you know, take a take a, a seat after a trade show and have a sip of water before going to the next thing and that expectation would be that I would put that same expectation on my team right because I was doing it so they should be able to do at that level and so things like that is what we learned about leadership is that we have to learn what we're doing to ourselves and how we're holding ourselves back in order to be able to see that and teach other people how to do that better and how to how to lead our teams better. For example, I gave you that about the frustration piece with my team. I can read when my team is in the wrong state because I did that work on myself and understanding when I was in the wrong state. And I didn't need to be doing and making decisions when I was in that state. I needed to ground myself before kind of moving forward. And those things were really helpful. And, and that had nothing to do with, you know, my my skills, you know, my business training, if you will, it was all personal growth. 
you you just demonstrated beautifully this whole journey of the other Everest. You just and everybody has a story where they had to come to grips with understanding themselves. And it's all about self-awareness. And you you can't build an environment of safety and authenticity until you do your own work around that. And then that evolves into the work that you do. It's not just, you can't just diminish leadership to a set of tools or techniques or titles. Tools are important, but it has to come from the character and the integrity of the leader, which you just have demonstrated beautifully. That's a, that's a unique story. Authenticity is a lot like beauty. You know, it's really hard to describe what it is. It's like going into an art museum and you see good, a beautiful piece of art and you come out and somebody says, well, what made it beautiful? Well, you just kind of have to be there. You just, you know, when you're in the presence of it, mm -hmm. but of beauty, but you, you can't really articulate it. It actually diminishes, but you just described that beautifully. And I think that's the point too, right? We can tell when somebody is being authentic, it is just present. It is just, you pick it up. You just know it and you know, when they're not. And that's the difference, right? You, you know, when somebody's not telling you something, you know, and you, you, and the problem is that we don't know when we're doing that to ourselves, unless we do the work to kind of be able to pay attention to ourselves and spend time with ourselves, which um, no leader has time to spend time with themselves, right? Like we got too much to do. Well, that is false. It is most important that you spend that time with yourself and making sure that you are taken care of so that you can take care of others and the work that needs to be done. Um, that is such a lesson. It's such a lesson for everybody to just let themselves um, have some peace, have some, have some time and, some, you know, not um, fight and flight type of work setting. If we can, if we can do that for ourselves, we can create that for other people. So much, Charlie, so accurate that so, so much in our early career, we're just in that grind of learning how to be an individual contributor and, and we don't make the time for ourselves, but when we're a leader, it's it's really that decision to build capacity around you means that I've got to be self-aware. How, how am I impacting the people around me? How is my behavior inadvertently creating my own stress level, for example, is creating uh, micromanaging, is creating anxiety, is creating pressure that is not helpful to an organization. I got to know myself. And that's why we have self-awareness groups where we get leaders together. Peer, we've set up a peer mentoring program where peer, where leaders come together once a month in a small group, confidential group where they give each other feedback and grow together and just take that space for themselves to say, I want to understand myself so that I can therefore impact the world better. Yeah. And I think the peer groups are so important because when you are sitting back and you're listening to somebody else tell a story about the thing that you do over and over again. And you're like, look, you, I know you just, you need to do this so, so you could get out of that. And, and you're just like, almost like cheering for that person to learn the thing that you just learned. Right. And you can, you're like, Oh, that's what I do. It's right there. You know, and you can see that in your peers and they can see that uh, on the flip side. Right. It, it just helps so much. It's, uh, I, I can just, I think back of uh, someone who was kind of learning to kind of speak to a group and wanted to speak with confidence and everything. And um, we would see like the, barely be able to like talk to us about what he was really doing. And so it's like, okay, how do you break down that barrier just with me and you, if you want to go and talk to the world, 
how do we break it down? Just me and you tell me what's, what are you afraid of in this setting, right? To go to that next level. And that's where, the, I mean, the, it's beautiful to watch when they get past some of that stuff that is holding them back to showing up. It's, it's beautiful. Like you said, it's art uh, to be able to do that. Well, I'll just give you one quick story, and I know we got to we got to wrap this up. Well, I could talk to you all day, and so you're amazing. Um, but you know, I was just coaching a, a senior leader last fall, and he he works in a in an agricultural organization, and he was he just got a new position of being a senior manager, senior executive, and he was inter- he he had to give the his state of the union address. So he came in and he was addressing this new team of hundred people on his team, and he was saying. Uh, you know, the typical state of the union, you know, political state, you know, this is who, you know, this is what I expect from you. And he said, I want to do something different. See, vulnerability, this takes vulnerability, but we think that vulnerability means that we have to open up all the deep, dark secrets of our life. And what he wanted to do, he just took me aside and he was so insecure. I mean, he's this very competent leader, but what he wanted to do is he said, I don't want, I want to throw out my, my typical presentation and I want to show pictures of growing of me growing up on a farm. This is a farming, it's an agriculture company. I want to show pictures of my dad and farming together and what I learned from my parents on the farm. But I was so I was, I feel like would, would they even care about that? And I said, of course, that's what they care about. They want to know what you value. And he was so nervous doing it, but he had that whole group in the palm of his hands in less than two minutes, just showing slides photographs of him growing up and stories of him growing up. So vulnerability doesn't mean that we have to show our all of our weak side. It means showing our human side, what we really value, what we really consider to be important and bringing that more fully to our work. And it's, it is a work of art. Well, you're, you have uh, just made my day, first of all, for saying yes to this interview. And I hope everybody will get your book. I, I love it. I, I've, I've, uh, I'm going to keep it. And it's, it's like, you know, where I can see it to just remind me every day, right, to be my authentic self. Um, David, thanks for showing up for us today. And um, I just, how can people get in touch with you if they want to chit chat? Well, the best way is my website, davidirvine.com. And Irvine is just like Irvine, California. So D-A-V-I-D-I-R-V-I-N-E.com. And and I'd love to hear from you. And uh, Charlie, I hope we can stay in contact. I really love your presence and I love your leadership, authenticity and uh, your your, uh, style. and, And it's just been great. It's been a lot of fun. Wonderful. Thanks, David. Such a pleasure. And that brings us to the end of our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review. Subscribe to our channels so that it shows up for you each week. You can reach us at Empowering Pumps or using the hashtag Empowering Industry Podcast. You can email me podcast at Empowering Pumps. And we'll be back every Monday with a new episode. So until then, be empowering. Be empowering.